Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I'd been to, I don't know, three or four basketball camps growing up before I went to a basketball camp in, in Nashville. And the basketball camps I'd been to before, it was a, it was a mix of, of hanging out and having fun and kind of got to eat in the athletic uh, um, cafeteria, which was kind of cool because football players would come in and basketball players. And all that was cool and it was fun. And you'd, you'd work out, uh, you would do um, drills and stuff for, for probably a, a, a half the day and then the rest of the day was free time and you went swimming and all this. When I went to this camp in Nashville, I went thinking, man, this is going to rock. We're in Nashville. We're going to have fun. You know, this is, uh, and we get there, and it was not what I was expecting at all. We show up, and the first thing we do is we unload our stuff, we go out in the hall, and we have wall sits. Anybody done wall sits before? Anybody have a trainer make you do wall sits before? So you know if you're not doing it and you don't control the timing on it, just how hard it is. So we're doing wall sits, and that's the first thing. That's the welcome to camp. Hey, guys, come on out here. Get your gear on and go sit on the wall. And we sat there for I don't know how long. And then the next thing was push-ups. And then it was running. And then we had to sit in a lecture on, on the fundamentals of basketball. From the time we got there and checked in and put our stuff in the room to the time we left, it was nonstop. And it was way different than I expected. It was miserable. We had drills like taking charges. Now, if you don't know what that is in basketball, that's where you have to plant your feet and let someone run you over. We had drills that were constant back and forth, running cone drills. We had uh, dribble drills. All of this stuff, it was nonstop. From the time we got there to the time we left, our plate was full. We didn't have a single moment of free time. Not what I was expecting. As I said, miserable. And on multiple occasions, in the middle of the night, our door was knocked on. Well, it wasn't really the middle of the night, but I mean, come on, let's face it, four in the morning is the middle of the night, right? So, <laughs> banging on the door, pulling you out in the hall, wall sits. A lot of times in our life, we come across the unexpected, things that we think are going to go one way, but go a radically different way. Today, we're going to look at this last transition story and what is really the birth narrative of Jesus but now he's 12 years old. <clears throat> Most of you probably know where we're going with this story now because there's only one story in the Bible where Jesus is 12 years old. So let's take a look at that. You'll find it in Luke 2, and it's verses 41 through 52. Now what I do need to go back and do, and I, I'm sorry I didn't add this to my scripture uh, for you guys in the back, but verse 40 of Luke 2 is the transition piece between infant Jesus and 12-year-old Jesus. And this is what it says. And the child grew and became strong, 
filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And the child grew and became strong. That is both physical and mental. And then we find out filled with wisdom, which is also spiritual. So when you read this, you think, okay, the kid grows up. But then the next story, verse 41, we find out, or actually in verse 42 of this, we find out that he's only 12. So think about that. He grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and he was 12. How many of you know 12-year-olds like this? (laughs) In fact, 12-year-old is that tween age now that can be quite miserable because they're not kids anymore and they're not teenagers and they're certainly not adults, but they think they're adults, 12-year-olds. Now his parents, verse 41 went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So what this tells us is that they were faithful in the pursuit of their, of their, of their Jewish faith. They were consistent every year. This was something that only the most faithful in Israel did every year. And it's about an 80-mile journey. Now think about this. 80 miles, walking. I don't know, what, what's 80 miles from here? I, I should have looked this up. I don't know, what's 80 miles from here? Grove Hill. All right, very good. Imagine saying, hey, we're going to walk to Grove Hill. Let's go. Woohoo! It'd probably be the other way around. You know, Grove Hill was more like Nazareth and Mobile was more like Jerusalem. But, but could you imagine 80 miles? So this isn't just a, hey, let's, let's for the day Take off and go to Jerusalem. This is a planned event. And because it was Passover, you had to take certain things and you had to be prepared to stay. You didn't just show up and do your thing and then turn around and leave. This was a caravan and it lasted a few days to get there. And then you would stay there for a week and then you would leave. This was a, this was a yearly event. This was, their, this was their Christmas break. And New Year's rolled into one. This was the big event for them. And every year, they planned to make this trip. Now, remember that he was a carpenter, and we know that they weren't of great means. So not only did it take a lot of time, but this would have stressed their finances. This was not something that was just easy to do. I think sometimes we read these scriptures, and we're lost on the fact of the dedication and the commitment that it took. And that's what was modeled to Jesus. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now what happened at 12 and 13 years old for Jewish boys? Does anybody know? Does anybody know what happens now for a 12-year-old boy? Bar Mitzvah, and it means son of the law. So you agree as a young Jewish boy, you transition from boy to teenager slash adult, it's really young man, and that is you become a son of the law, bar mitzvah. So Jesus, although they didn't have bar mitzvah, so they didn't have some cheesy band up there with Jesus, you know, at his bar mitzvah. That wasn't going on, all right? Everybody now. 
Girls didn't have the dresses and they didn't get all this money and all of the, you know, that's, that's something radically different than bar mitzvah was really quiet, really nothing special. In fact, we don't know exactly how it was celebrated with Jesus' day, and we don't know if it was 12 or 13 years old. We really don't know much about it at all other than Jesus is at that age where he's transitioning from child to young adult. Now, girls at 12 went from girls to women in their understanding. I'll leave that to you to figure out why. So Jesus was 12. He wasn't quite a man, but all the people around him that were his age that were female were already women. He's this in-between. He's a tweenager. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Now, that sounds like a 12-year-old boy to me. When my brother was 12, we came from uh, Texas. We lived in Texas. And we came back to visit uh, in Montgomery, visit my grandparents. And we were staying with my mom's mom. Uh, We called her Dee D-E-E-D-E-E. Don't know why we called her that, but that's what we called her. I think because we couldn't say dandy, which is what we, they tried to get her to, us to call her. So she was Dee Dee. So we came back to visit with Dee Dee. Well, here's the thing. When Dee Dee said, you have 20 minutes, you didn't have 20 minutes and five seconds. You really had 19 minutes, and you better be there because at 20, whatever she said was happening was happening. Well, one day she took us to Toys R Us, and she said, hey, guys, and, and Kelly, my older brother, was 12, Hey, guys, uh, y'all can pick something out. Go find it. You got 10 minutes. Come back to the front of the store. I'll get it, and we'll go. So I'm sitting here going, man, I don't even know what 10 minutes is, but I'm running to find something. I grab it. I don't even know if I wanted it. You know, it was one of those things like, she said 10 minutes. I got to get this thing. And I, it might have been longer than 10 minutes. I don't really remember. I grab it, and I run to the front of the store, and I'm, you know, almost panting out of breath. Here you go, Didi. And I'm sitting there, and I'm smiling, and I'm, I'm looking around, and there's no Kelly. And he had brought a friend on this trip, and, and Kelly and John aren't showing up. And I'm like, oh, it's about to get real. And so as the younger brother, you know, I'm sitting there just smiling. And I'm like, please don't come. Please don't come. I just want to see the fallout. So it's kind of like watching a show like the office, it's a complete and utter train wreck, and you can't take your eyes off of it. That's what this was. It was like, oh, this is going to be so good. The time came, and there was no Kelly and John, and she said, okay, let's go. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's cool. Let's go sit in the car. So we go out to the car, and she cranks it. And I'm like, oh, maybe she's going to move the car, and they're going to come out, and they won't, have their, they won't have their toy, and they'll be spazzing out because um, they can't find her. She leaves. She, did you hear me? She leaves them <laughs> to walk home to her house on a main road in Montgomery, Alabama called the Bypass. And it was like five miles to her house. No lie. So I'm like, holy smokes, this is better than I ever could dream, man. 
So not only are they stuck at Toys R Us, but I'm going to go swimming by myself and not get dunked by my older brother. He, he liked to see how long he could hold me under without turning blue, right? So I'm back at the house going, yeah, I got my toy, and Kelly does it. I'm going swimming while he is walking. I'm thinking all that stuff, you know. That's 12-year-old boy. Kelly was motivated more by what he wanted. He just knew that there was something big he wanted, and there was a dollar amount that she gave him, and knowing Kelly, he was, he was calculating the biggest thing he could get for that dollar amount because he was a 12-year-old boy. At that point, I was only eight or whatever I was, and I'm like, no, she said this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be there when she said, or I'm not, it's going to be trouble. So Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, acts kind of like a 12-year-old boy. He doesn't tell his parents, I'm going to stay around and hang out here in Jerusalem. You go on back home. The difference is, Kelly was motivated by more or bigger, by want. That's not what Jesus is motivated by in this story. So his parents leave, and they're traveling back, and they didn't know. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now understand that the way this worked was, generally the women traveled together, and then the men traveled behind them, and then all the kids were just kind of running about, and milling about, and playing. And I mean, it's just a long journey. You know, the pigs, the, the, the pigs? No, the kids... Yeah, they kind of smell, boys, 12-year-old boys kind of smell like pigs, right? I mean, they're awful, or copper. Do they, anybody else think that boys playing outside smell like copper? Like, it's weird, I don't know. But anyway, so picking up rocks and throwing them down in the gully and, and laughing and playing tag and all that, and that, all that commotion is going on. And the whole village would be traveling together, the whole family unit, like multiple aunts, uncles, you know, grandparents, all of that moving and flowing together. And so it wasn't unusual for them not to have him under their feet. Remember, he's a 12-year-old boy. And when they did not find him, verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, how many of you guys have lost a kid? And it's okay to raise your hand here. Yes, yes, I, I will fully admit I've lost a kid. Now, they, they tried to get lost, but I have fully lost a kid. One of the worst spankings I ever got was the time I hid in the, in the coat rack at the department store. A lot of you guys don't know what that is, but there were these round racks that, that clothes were on, and there was a topper on top, and you could get up in there and no one would know. Now, Kelly did it too, but he's the one that I learned from. He was a horrible kid. They come back searching for him. I remember the look on my mom's face that day that I came out of the... I had been hiding and she'd been looking for me. And she saw me. The, the relief and the anger and all of that wrapped up into one. If you're a parent, you know that feeling. That's what Mary is feeling here. But this doesn't go on for 30 minutes. This is for days. In fact, it's three days. 
real quick story. One night, Laura and I went in to get a movie at the movie gallery. Anybody remember those? And we got stuck in. There was a lockdown because there was a kid that got lost. And the family was frantic. And you're talking about a room, I mean, a storefront not as big as this room. I mean, it's, it wasn't very big. I mean, there were only so many places that a kid could go, and they could not find this kid. So they were putting a, a, a warning out looking for the kid because everybody assumed that he had been kidnapped or, or walked out of the store and walked somewhere outside. And there were police everywhere, and we were on lockdown, and the kid was hiding in the return box. And as a guy, I'm thinking, brilliant! Best hiding place ever! And then my next thought was, how did he get in that thing? It's locked. Like, how did he do that? That's pretty impressive, kid. His parents were furious, but relieved. So imagine what it must have been like for Mary. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. When they found the kid, and their worst case scenario was that he was kidnapped by someone and could be killed or sold, and it ends up dudes just chilling in the return box. Imagine what that must have been like for Mary when she shows up to the temple, and there he is amongst the teachers, the wise leaders of the faith. The relief. Okay, he hasn't been kidnapped. He hasn't been left in an alley or in the gorge out there where they throw the trash out of Jerusalem. He hasn't been stolen. He hasn't been enslaved. He's been in the temple. And they found him sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, that doesn't sound very much like a 12-year-old. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So not only, we see, not only was he sitting there asking questions and listening. I mean, this is like going to a seminary class, and not just a class, but a seminary gathering of professors. All learned men, and it would have been at this time just men, all learned men. Guys who had been studying the Scripture their whole life, who were much older than him, and he's sitting around asking questions, and then intelligent questions, apparently, and then when they would throw something out there, he would answer, and they were shocked. When my brother got lost, his motivation was big toy. When Jesus got lost, his motivation is what comes next. Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, <clears throat> your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, these two verses are important, and we're going to take just a moment on this as we close out the sermon today. First off, she says... We have been searching for you in great distress. That word distress there happens like four times in the New Testament. So really, the most often it is used in the Greek, it is used in Greek outside of the Bible. And when it's used outside of the Bible, it means the pain that comes through a deep gash or laceration or broken bone. 
So if you've ever been deeply gashed, if you've ever had a massively broken bone, Catherine, yes, you have. For those of you who don't know, Catherine put her hand through a window last week and cut her arm open pretty good. Yeah, and then Friday night reopened it. Yeah, and then Friday night reopened it. So that's why she's in the sling today, by the way. So the pain that comes with that, the pain that comes with that, or I think about the pain that I saw my dad go through after his wreck when he had hundreds of stitches on his face, when he had broken bones. And I think about the pain that he went through. That's the kind of anguish, this distress. So Mary is saying that you have ripped me open. You have broken me. She is utterly distressed. She's in shock. And his answer almost brushes that away like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> Duh. Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And remember here that he is saying my father is Yahweh, not Joseph. Joseph is standing there. Imagine what that would have been like to be Joseph. Joseph knowing that that's not his biological son. Joseph hearing this for the first time that Jesus says, Joseph, you're not really my father. Yahweh's my father. I think this teaches us a couple of things. Jesus is an example for us. First off, what we need to understand is that our primary relationship, our primary relationship, period, is to Yahweh. And even if we devote love and attention to our kids and our spouses or to our loved ones, the closest ones to us, if those ever become more important than God, we've lost focus. And that's hard. It's hard as a parent. It's hard as a spouse. But Jesus is, in essence, saying, look, guys, I know you're raising me, but there's only one parent in my world, and it's Yahweh. Jesus teaches us that our prime relationship is the Father. The second thing that Jesus teaches us is that we must pursue Him at all cost. That's tough. Not only is it the prime relationship, but we must pursue Him as if it is the main thing in our world. <clears throat> this 12-year-old boy, full of wisdom, was in the temple learning and growing and understanding who he was and what his mission was. And had he not spent time there, had he been just the dutiful little boy that went back with his parents and he ignored the opportunity, the calling of the Father, he would have missed out on an opportunity to grow in understanding of who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. I thoroughly believe that Jesus, in these moments in the temple, was collecting information about who he was. 
as a 12-year-old boy, he didn't fully understand the spectrum and the full grasp. He didn't fully grasp what he was about to do. He didn't understand all of the intricacies of what his life meant and what he was about to do. He was 12, and we know that a 12-year-old boy doesn't have the mind of a grown man. But he was pursuing that at all cost. And I think the third thing that we learn not only is his a relationship with him prime, it's the, it's the ultimate, it's the thing that we're supposed to seek first. Not only do we seek it with, at all measures, with all, at all costs, but I think the third thing it teaches us is like Jesus, God has something for you. He has something for And it doesn't have to be a cross to be significant. I say this oftentimes. It doesn't have to be something massive to be world-changing. Jesus' obedience to the Father, to the real Father, led him to understand what he was supposed to be doing. And so we are called to be Make him our prime relationship to pursue that at all costs so that then we can be connected to him to understand what it is he's calling us to do. Guys, that's where we are fulfilled. As a 12-year-old boy, it would have been much funner running off than hanging out with the, I mean, at least it would to this guy. Heck, I'd be rather doing that than sit around and talking to a bunch of old guys in the temple. There was nothing fun about that for Jesus. He was a 12-year-old boy. I fully expect that he really wanted to be out there with his cousins laughing and running and having fun. Instead, he was in a place where he was growing in his understanding of his calling. And so, make him your prime relationship. Pursue him at all costs so that then he can guide you to what he wants you to be, what he wants you to do. Mary was shocked. She was astonished. She couldn't fathom it. She couldn't fathom what was happening to her 12-year-old son. It wasn't what she expected. But remember, the angel had warned her, this kid's going to cause trouble for you. Remember that when he went and was circumcised, that the prophecy said, this kid's going to cause trouble for not just you, but for everybody. Jesus is unexpected. And just like Mary, when we pursue him, sometimes there's distress. It creates distress. What I'm saying is, if you do these three things that I think Jesus is calling us to do, to make God our prime relationship, to pursue it at all costs, and to be available for him to use, then there are going to be times that it feels not good. It's going to cause distress. It's not easy. Following Jesus and following in his footsteps, becoming who God wants you to be, isn't easy and it isn't always laughs and lollipops. Sometimes it's very difficult. But it's worth it. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?
when I got to the basketball camp and I thought, man, this is ridiculous. This is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. I didn't want to spend my week this way. I didn't sign up for this even though I had signed up for it and paid for it. But at the end of that week, what was so hard and strenuous, what made my life miserable for five days, ended up radically changing the way I played basketball and really impacted me on what it meant to have goals, to push through pain, to work hard. It was miserable in the moment, and it caused great distress at 4 a.m. wall sits for five minutes were brutal. But at the end of it, there was something magnificent. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.